Isaiah 65 from verse 17 on page 1166. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take great delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought to be a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and other people live in them, or plant and others will eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they have come into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would clear our minds and make our hearts attentive to you. Father, We need your help to understand your word and especially when we're thinking about heaven which is so unfamiliar to us. So please come again this night and gently teach us and lead us so that we might live for your glory tomorrow and all of our tomorrows. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's extremely difficult to adequately describe a new taste. We always resort to comparisons with what we have tasted before and and try and imagine that our, our audience have tasted the same thing. In this instance, grass is all I can offer. It's extremely difficult 
to adequately describe something that we haven't seen. It's extremely difficult to adequately describe an experience that is not ours. Honiara is the capital of the Solomon Islands. Can I get you to give me a wave if you've been to Honiara? If I were to get you to describe Honiara, the main street in Honiara, would you have any possibility? Well, if you know where its location is and what the neighbouring countries are like, you might have a guess at what Honiara's main street looks like. I visited Honiara in December 1998, so a while back. Uh, I've, I've experienced that street. I've walked up and down that street for a week. I've seen it with my own eyes. But still, if I were to give you tonight uh, a description of the main street of Honiara, it would be superficial. What is heaven like? We have very little to work with. None of us have experienced it. None of us have been there. The Bible writers, when they're describing heaven, are also describing something that they haven't seen or experienced in full. Both Isaiah and John get a glimpse of heaven. And they use those glimpses to use superlative language and try and convey to us what heaven is like but I'm sure their efforts fall short as well. Our knowledge, our understanding are greatly lacking. In our finiteness, how can we grasp eternity? Yet God graciously gives us enough information in his word to intrigue us and to draw us near. What can we know about heaven? Well, let's start with a couple of things, what heaven isn't. Heaven isn't up. Most young children would describe heaven as being up. Sadly, some adults would also describe heaven as being up. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. But he's not referring to heaven, is he? Unfortunately, we use similar words to describe the skies, the heavens, and and heaven. And of course, the Bible is written pre-science. And so I think, uh, well, hopefully, we're comfortable with heaven not being a place that has a physical location and, and geographical coordinates or astronomical coordinates. Heaven isn't up. Heaven, like God, is always beyond. Beyond. Also, heaven isn't simply a return to Eden. In 1984, a group called the Eurogliders had an enormous success with a song, Heaven Must Be There. And we're about to hear a little bit of that. Searching for a man. Yeah. Must be 
Here are the four lines, or four of the five lines that you've just heard. Heaven must be there. Well, it's just got to be there. I've never, never seen Eden. I don't want to live in this place. Those four lines are repeated another five times throughout the song. Uh, They're over 75% of the song. And some of the other lines are three words. So uh, it's a bit repetitive. But there are a couple of bits of information we have from this song. Heaven is preferable to here. And I hope uh, that, that you already know that. And heaven is something like Eden. And there is something to that thought. Because God will be there in the midst of his people and our relationships will be restored and there's a sense of of Eden. But heaven isn't simply a return to Eden. Because when Jesus comes to make all things new, it will be just that. A new creation, a new creation, as we see in Isaiah 65, verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And if we were to turn over to the end of chapter 66, 66, verse 22, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Heaven is a new creation and it endures. Heaven is a new creation, it's, it, it, it's future, but it's also the existent throne of God. In chapter 66, verse 1, heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. We've seen that heaven is God's throne before, at the start of Isaiah's ministry. We see that he has a vision of God enthroned in heaven. And it's that vision that propels his ministry forward. It gives him an urgency to say, yes, here am I, send me. And he moves through his ministry, propelled by that future vision even though he knows he will meet calloused hearts. That will be the apparent fruit of his ministry. Can you remember back to chapter 6? Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has seen something that we haven't, albeit a a, a relative glimpse. God enthroned in heaven. And he uses expansive language to try and encapsulate the wonder and the awe of this place. He calls God high and exalted. The train of his robe cannot be contained in the temple. In fact, it overflows. There are glorious six-winged creatures hovering about. But their glory is but dust to God's glory. They have to hide their eyes. 
But that doesn't stop them from proclaiming God's glory, his otherness, his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. For any human to be there is too, too much. Isaiah says, I am ruined. I am ruined. But astonishingly, his lips are touched. His guilt is taken away. And he is told his sin is atoned for. Unbelievable, lavish grace. The throne of God exudes grace, love and forgiveness. Humans can't stand before this throne. In chapter 66, verse 2, the second part. These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Humble, contrite tremblers are those who are made like Isaiah. Those are the ones who can stand before the throne because their guilt has been taken, their guilt has been atoned for. They are the recipients of heaven's joy because Jesus has taken their place. Humility, contrition, trembling are all the fruit of grace. God's gift in Jesus. Isaiah tells us that heaven is God's throne, but not all will enter into God's presence. Isaiah interchangeably uses um, the phrases a holy mountain and a new Jerusalem to give us a sense of what heaven is like as well. Again in chapter 65, uh, second half of verse, 13, uh, verse 17 onwards, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. In this new Jerusalem, God chooses, he chooses not to remember the past. Our sins will in effect be cast as far as the east is from the west. There will be gladness and rejoicing forever. There's no shame, no sadness over the the forgotten past. God will rejoice over his people and they will be weeping and crying no more. Isaiah uh, links uh, this new creation with what Jesus has done. And he does that in in Isaiah 25, verses 7 and 8. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheets that cover all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So compare this uh, with uh, what uh, John writes 
in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Uh, They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. John's vision and and Isaiah's vision and, and, and teaching dovetail together. I recently was told by an adult that if heaven is the peaceful place that I was talking about, then it would have to be boring. Now, I've had plenty of children say that to me, but very rarely does an adult say that to me. And it it took me a, a bit by surprise. But if we look here in Isaiah chapter 65... Uh, we can see from the end of verse 22 that that heaven is not boring, that there is work to be done, work which is fulfilling, work which is not in vain, and the people will be blessed. Boredom will not be a factor in this peaceful, harmonious realm. There will be peace and harmony of the entire animal kingdom. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And in chapter 11, the lamb and the lion. There will be peace and harmony. All the old enmities disappear in the new world. The only point in the whole new creation where there is no change is a curse that was pronounced on sin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The curse pronounced on sin remains the same. The serpent will still eat the dust of the ground. Our enemies, sin and death, will be finally and forever defeated. There will be nothing to harm us. Describing these new relationships between animals and children earlier in Isaiah 11, Isaiah adds an explanatory note regarding this harmony. There will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth is filled with the knowledge of God. Heaven is filled with the knowledge of the Lord. We will know God and all his goodness and grace in a way that we have never known it before. Isaiah in chapter 54 elaborates more on the new Jerusalem and he repeats things such as there's no fear, no shame, no disgrace. He he adds in further use of uh, wedding imagery 
and he speaks of God's unfailing love and unshakable commitment. He describes the city as having lavish riches, turquoise, rubies, jewels and precious stones of all kinds will decorate this place. Despite Isaiah's best attempts, you can be absolutely assured that it will be far, far better than you're imagining now. What amazing realities, what a stunning inheritance, what grace. Heaven is where we're headed if we've turned to God and by grace are trusting in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us, which I pray is true of all of us here. It's an amazing future that we have. But again, we need to ask, what about now? What about today? How should our future impact us? When Jesus came, his ministry, like Isaiah's ministry, was future-driven. It was future-driven. He was aware of the riches of heaven from which he'd come. He, He was aware that he was doing his Father's will. He was aware that he had come for the cross, yet with determination he strode to that path because there was more beyond the cross. He was opening the kingdom of heaven for us. The kingdom of heaven was beyond the cross. And so he moves forward. He moves forward. Does a vision of heaven propel us forward in our faith and in our life? Jesus was not only making the way but showing the way each step of the way. A few weeks ago in Isaiah 61 we saw what I like to call his charter of renewal. Proclaiming good news to the poor, binding up the broken hearted proclaiming freedom and release from from darkness and blindness, both physical and spiritual, bringing comfort to those who mourn. And again in Isaiah 61, the beneficiaries of this ministry were to carry on this rebuilding, this renewal, in the light of the, the double portion inheritance that was set before them. Delighting greatly in God, rejoicing that God was wedded to them, Their motivation was what lied ahead, lay it ahead. Of course, this is us. This is us. We are the beneficiaries. We are the beneficiaries of Christ's redemptive death and resurrection. So we as followers of the way are called each step of the way to proclaim, to bind up, to comfort to rebuild, to renew, to rejoice, to delight in God. In other words, our task is to worship and to work for the kingdom. To worship and work for the kingdom. Do your days look like that? Uh, Do you see your work for the kingdom as worship as well? And this is our prayer, isn't it? 
This is our prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. On earth as in heaven. How do we expect that to happen? Is it just a future event that we're waiting for? Of course not. It happens through us. The future kingdom is to be displayed in our daily lives. Our secure, assured future is to impact our lives. Just as Jesus' ministry was future-driven, our ministry, our daily lives, are to be future-driven. Our future inheritance is to be the critical factor in our use of time, money, talents and energy in this world. Are we investing his gifts to us in his kingdom now? Are we investing his gift of time into kingdom work now? Are we investing his gift to us of money into his kingdom work now? Are we investing his gift of talents to us in kingdom work now? Our energy in kingdom work now? Are we using God's gifts to us for his glory so that his will will be done through bringing heaven to earth now when was the last time you reassessed your priorities in terms of your use of time money, talents and energy I mean when did you sit down and deliberately say okay okay, things are out of control time just goes on and on and on I don't give heaven a second thought uh, my energy is sapped. Uh, don't give heaven a second thought. My money and my talents, well, they're, they're my money and my talents. When was the last time we sort of sat down and reassessed? I know myself, I complain about time rolling on and, and my tiredness and the like. Can I suggest that our upcoming meeting to discuss our church budget. You might say, what? Church budget? I think it allows us, in a small way, as a church family, as God's people, uh, to reassess and, and to set a vision. To set a vision with what God might do with his gifts in, in this place. That's a small thing for all of us to consider. I'd like us all individually to consider it as well. And I know and I appreciate that it's different for all of us. We're in much, much different situations. But let me urge us to, to reassess our priorities in the light of our glorious future inheritance. It, it, it is... Not to drag us forward, but to drive us forward and 
and to encourage us forward. Today and each day, live for the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Live for the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Please pray with me. Father, we're sorry for the times when you have to drag us forward in the faith. We thank you uh, for the vision of a grand future and an inheritance that is beyond our understanding. At one level, we long for a place where there is no more pain or crying or death. Father, please help us to know how we can use what you've given us to your glory. Help us not just to be swept along by day after day, but help us to be envisioned by what the Lord Jesus has done and what you have assured us. Please, Father, help us to be your kingdom, to worship you daily and to work for the kingdom daily. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.